0: How do you go about making your voice sound like someone else's, and why would you? I'll be chatting to a bunch of people who can answer those questions and many more as they reveal the dark arts of Impressionists. I'm Simon Lipson, and this is Making an Impression. I'm delighted to welcome today top-class impressionist Paul Burling. Paul, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, this is very exciting. Thank you
0: for having me on. You are my third Britain's Got Talent contestant. You got to the final, I think, in 2010. I think one of the things that blew the judges away, and I think blew audiences away, was your Harry Hill. And I think you you, know, you probably come in with a small advantage of looking a bit like Harry Hill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, clearly, you, you, you must have realised that was going to cause a stir,
1: I was always told to do something like BGT, you have to go on and, and make a, an entrance, if you like, and so you do something that's memorable, yeah. even in the auditions. At that time, back in 2010, I wasn't really doing Harry in my act. <laughs> it was quite surprisingly, oh, really? yeah. I just used to do like a sort of a throwaway, yeah, what well, the chances of that happening, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But when I was putting together the audition piece, which is all new, I thought, hit him with something, and if you're going to use something, use what you've got visually. So, uh, obviously, because I do tend to look a little bit like Harry. What you got, mate, that's what I'm (laughs) saying. So, uh, yeah, the intention really was just to sort of visually straight away, bang, bit of Harry Hill, yeah, mm, that's right, yeah, mm," and all that sort of thing, and uh, "Mm," yeah, and uh, (laughs) like he does. But then after that, I did a big sort of mix of cartoon characters and to show that I'm not just about doing Harry Hill because I look like Harry Hill, because I was not really just about doing Harry Hill.
0: And I saw you on the show, and I've seen some of your videos on uh, YouTube and uh, across the internet. And you have a wide range of voices. You do some lovely voices from Only Fools and Horses, which perhaps we'll come to a little bit later. Let's uh, go backwards then, sort of. You know, I always like to get to the young impressionists. Presumably, the the, the class clown, or were you introverted and you know it had to be dragged out of you?
1: Well, you see, I was. Quite a shy kid, really, because I had three sisters, so I didn't get a chance to get a word in.
0: I, I only but had one, and I didn't get a word in, so, you know. I, exactly. <laughs> I
1: mean, that was <laughs> <laughs> But I was quite quite shy, actually, but even at primary school, to a couple of friends, do a few voices. Back then, of course, this is the 70s, of course, hmm. being really old as I am. You know, at that time, I was doing the Frank Spencers and the Tommy Coopers and the Normal Wisdoms and all that sort of
0: stuff. Did you sense at that time that you were better at it than your mates?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that um, because I was quite introverted, as you say, um, I, I was and I found it sort of to make friends, really. But as I sort of grew up and went to secondary school and stuff like that, I used it to make friends because I was quite quiet, shy. But again, and then once that sort of caught on, uh, as I got to sort of you know, sort of 12, 13, my small circle of Friends used to make me come to school. Want well, make me, but advise. Well, I don't know. Make, but advise. Be bully. Is that bullying? I don't know. <laughs> but they. used to <laughs> Tomorrow you have got coming, and you've got to be so and so tomorrow all day in school. And that time, of course, we had. Um, had to be someone for the day. Off the top of my head, I was thinking it had to be someone like the young one. So I had to come to school going. Ah, everybody, yes. <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. I to go English.
0: Oh, you like, no, it's really. It's really like guys! So I have to meet somebody for day. <laughs> yeah. So you were coming in as and staying in character all day, which is great training for the impressionist and, and an actor, I guess. Because um, I always think, you know, having t- spoken to a lot of impressionists on the podcast so far, that it's quite hard to maintain. An impression and unless and, and it's one of those that's completely wormed its way yeah. into your head and you know every tick and every every sound every inflection it's you know it's like you do a little cartoon don't you, you do your 15 seconds of uh, michael mcintyre you do mcintyre yeah don't you? yes a little bit of like michael mcintyre because it's so exciting it really is yes <laughs> mm, it really is indeed well, that's, that's yeah, so, great. I mean, because I might, you know, I've said this on the pod before. I, with McIntyre, all I can do is yeah, so high. You know, that's all I can do, right? And it's yeah. that, the, the yodel <laughs> bit, you know. Did you work at trying to learn every nook and cranny of a voice, or was it just you know just the ones you needed to do? Stop getting your head punched in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, no, I think because I was also doing the cartoons because I started off when I was a nipper doing at home. Doing the cartoon characters. So of course I'm old enough to remember the Warner Brother cartoons, so I'd come in and be doing like, no beware, we were be quiet, I'm gonna catch a wabbit. <laughs> yeah, I'll see, boy, I'll see, boy, I'm a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see, I'll don't listen to that dog, son, I'll see, son.
0: So there you are. You're, you're doing all those voices uh, in your teen years. Did it then start to occur to you? Hang on, this actually could be a bit more than the, the playground entertainer, and it, there's something in it for you, perhaps at a professional level.
1: The thing was, my dad used to sort of tell me off when I was little for mucking about doing voices. You know, he's one of them. You know, he's great dad and everything like that. But he'd say, you know, going to speak speak properly. You know, go, okay, dad. <laughs> you know, that sort of <laughs> thing <to laughs> Yeah, that one minute. then. When I left school at 16, with not many um, qualifications, I just sort of flitted around. And I never envisaged being an entertainer or an impressionist as a career. Yeah, I went and worked on the holiday park, but as a KP, which is a kitchen porter, which when I was like 18, 19, as you do. And again, I didn't know anybody. So I just started mucking about in the kitchens going... Sweeping the floors, there's normal wisdom going, oh, God,
0: it's old, it's it was a great sale,
1: and all that sort of stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's one thing, you know, as, as you do, just to make Of
0: course, everyone does that.
1: <laughs> everyone does that, I don't know, you know what <laughs> I mean? I mean, um, oh, yeah, I'll do some eggs, I'll put a in there, all that, all that, and all that, you know, that's what they Yeah. These yeah. people sort of found it a bit amusing at the time. And then one day, the entertainment manager heard that I was doing impressions in in the canteen. And even then, I was doing, I think Julian Clary was doing the Joan Collins Fan Club then, and I was sort of doing, hello, punters. Well, this is very exciting here with all these lovely people. I thank you. And um, all that sort of stuff. And he heard about this. And he took me to his office and said, oh, Paul, I heard you do these impressions, you know. And I said, well, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He said, I'll write a list of impressions you do, and maybe one night we'll get you up in one of the bars or something. You know, I was sort of like, okay then, yeah, whatever, you know. Can I go and get some cider in Black? And um, I wrote a list about about 60 different voices that I did then. This is 1988. So I went with this and I went, oh, there you go. And he went, you do all that, mate. Yeah. Anyway, literally a couple of nights later, one of the acts did turn up on the small bars and he literally got me up on stage. And my best friend there, and still my best friend to this day, Mark, who's a big lad, and he threatened to punch me. And, and again, it's back to violence, I'm afraid. Yeah. And he threatened to punch me if I didn't get up on stage. And all I remember is absolutely cacking myself. And I had this really dodgy, you know, elasticated beard. You know, a little brown, sort of brown beard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you can't see this on the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know
0: I, I, I can confirm <laughs> that Paul is pulling a, uh, an imaginary fake beard. Beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> and I walked on so it. Oh, hello. It's Fab and Gravy. My goodness, it's great to be here. Oh, my God, look at all these people. And it just carried on from then, and I just ad-libbed it doing whatever came into my head. Going, oh, Zippy, I think Bungle's going out. Oh, we put some more petrol on him then, George. <laughs> so it was just literally like winging it, and I managed to it for about 15, 20 minutes and got a real buzz out of it because it went yeah. down well. Because <laughs> I was the KP from the kitchens doing impressions.
0: You hadn't really then been thinking about becoming a performer, and suddenly you're sort of thrust, you know, a star is born, you're thrust into the limelight, uh, almost yeah. kicking and screaming. You were, what, uh, late late teens at that point?
1: Yeah, I was uh, 19 at the time. But then from there, we left that park, me and Mark went to another park to be barman, and um, the same year, and went to another park as barman. And then we, um, again, and then days, you, you all remember this, before they now, on behind the bar, you, they press a button and it tells you how much it is and it adds it all up for you. Yeah. Well, Max is not my forte, hence why I never became an accountant, Simon. <laughs> and, um, so when it got busy, he used to chuck me out to collect the glasses, which I didn't mind doing because I didn't like adding up. And I, got, I used to get bored of that, so he used to just go around the audience as Norman Wisdom, getting glasses, the glasses, 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 and all this sort of stuff. And a guy called Pete Conway, who's Robbie Williams' dad, was the compare and... I met up with him and he said, Oh, I hear you do some vo- same sort of things that have happened. I hear you do some voices. Do you want to fancy so doing like a little double act where I'm singing because he's a crew, isn't he, Pete? So he, we worked out that he'd be singing and I'll walk through the audience going, Glassy, oh, Glassy, and all this sort of stuff. And then, Oh, come on, Mr. Conway, I won't ever go, I won't go on the stage, all this sort of stuff. He goes, Oh, off you go. And sort of like double act type thing and he'll walk off and left me to it. So that's how that started. And then the following year, <laughs> I applied to be
0: a coach. So you kind of obviously realized that at this point, you've got this, whatever it takes to become a performer. And and did you then completely set your mind? And the reason I ask that is because anyone who's been in any form of showbiz knows what a a precarious profession it is. And sometimes you can be really great and not get anywhere. I mean, I used to work on the comedy circuit and some really great stand-ups. And I won't name names because it would embarrass them. I think, why have they not made it? And maybe, you know, John Bishop has or Michael McIntyre. Well, McIntyre's great. That's probably why. Yeah. And so is Bishop. But there are lots of great comics for whatever reason, just, you know, haven't made it. What, did you have any kind of fallback position at that point?
1: Not really. It no? was, it was, what it was was I did my apprenticeship as a, I mean, obviously, it came from a different genre of the entertainment as a lot of other guys do Yeah, um, just being a blue coat red coat and that was my apprenticeship and I loved it uh, it was the best time and learnt so much because you were performing every single night even if it was like mucking about doing bingo or yeah. just learning even how to use a microphone and building up for me personally is building up my confidence even though I've done those things in 1988 behind the, from Behind the Bar and the KP thing I still wasn't very confident at all because it's all very well people going oh he's funny because he worked from Behind the Bar or he's working a Kitchen Port and that sort of thing it's a novelty thing novelty thing oh he's having a go and then to do, go into the entertainment side from the old school way if you like as being a cope but I absolutely loved it because it built my confidence not just as a performer but as a person and I um, met some amazing people along the way that gave me lots of advice people in the business who were above me who were you know, like Joe Pasquale and people, you know, like Joe, because you know, I, I did a, somebody asked me the other day, what's my first impression? It was Joe. Yeah. Which is a bit embarrassing, because somebody always goes, oh, he does an impression if you meet these me. people. There's always somebody goes, he does an impression of you. me, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know, that. I don't know, I don't know, love. because you're been the
0: And it was a bit like that. <laughs> so, he, was, he really does talk like that, doesn't he? Isn't He's not putting that on, really. He just sort of speaks more like,
1: because I've I've I I taught him <laughs> Years ago, he yeah. sort of speaks more like that like, sort of off
0: stage sort yeah. of thing, mate. Just say love a lot. All right, love Love, he's mellowing in his old age. You know, I think that's what's happening.
1: He, he now speaks like, "I right, love." <laughs> that,
0: that's really interesting because uh, a question I've asked in previous shows about meeting the people that you do it doesn't happen very often, and, and if it does, I mean, I I met Frank Bruno. Uh, on the Radio 5, and he's sitting next to me in a cap-sleeve T-shirt, his muscles on his arms (laughs) the size of my thighs, and his (laughs) neck, you know, he's like a, ah, just, he's an enormous guy. And this was, you know, we're going about 20-odd years, so he was right at kind of the peak of his fitness. And he's doing all day. And the presenter, who was Gary Richardson, he said, Simon does a nice impression of you. (laughs) <laughs> Frank Bruno looked at me and I went, I don't, I don't actually know. Cool? <laughs> I mean I'm sure he's an absolute cat, but I just, this feels so wrong, uh, this enormous hulk of a man and he wants me to take the piss out of him on live radio
1: I yeah. met Chris Eubank, right at charity gig and um, in Western Super Mill on the pier, showbiz darlings and um, <laughs> he's, a, he's like Frank and he? he's a big lad do you know what I mean yeah. and so we were sort of meeting and I was introduced to him and he goes, oh, hello, Pory, it's, it's lovely to meet you because I'm sure, but I'm sure we have sort of, sort of met somewhere before. And you know when you're thinking to yourself in your head, you've seen the thing with Frank, Because you mindset set to do that voice, but you don't to because you know he's going to eat you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> because you might take it's my name, and i like, that. Me, are you trying to protect the press? You know what I mean? It's not, you know what I mean, it's <laughs> So I was like, a, yes, nice to meet you, Chris. <laughs> It's
0: lovely to meet you. <laughs> lovely to meet you. So, moving on from there, you were doing the holiday parks, a wealth of skills and experience, and meeting people and getting tips and advice and honing your craft. Did you see beyond that, you know, that you were going to go and do other things, or was it in your mind as kind of an end in itself?
1: At the time, you know, and I was in my early 20s and stuff, and I just I just loved doing that job, you know, because you're meeting so many people and having a lot of fun, to be honest with you. Young, free and single, and having a good time. And again, like I say, still learning. Oh, you never stop learning, as we know in this business anyway. You never oh. stop learning. And then I sort of went, moved on to be an entertainment manager after a few years, which is all great. And then uh, I decided that at 97, I needed to sort of go out in the bigger wide world, or even just being a visiting act on holiday parks so that I'd seen people like joe and bradley walsh and all these wonderful people mm. but i've got to give a go if i don't give a go now it'll never happen and that's what i did and i just went out and showcases on that sort of level and um worked hard to try and make sure that i was going to get a, a good career for that which i've been doing since really what, and, um, what kind and of then, things
0: then you, you you mentioned showcases so the you you had an agent presumably at this point or or did you i did
1: not have a specific agent i had some agents and i used to go to their showcases do a 10 minute spot on their showcase and then the bookers book you from that on and then I had a lot of help from a guy called Martin Berg who's still a good friend who I worked who used to be my entertainment executive when I was an entertainment manager he had his parks so I used to work his parks being a cabaret actor so he wasn't just the bloke who entertained the kids or whatever it was or do bingo uh, or be an entertainment manager he was doing that and then go off to another park which nobody knew who you were as far as those concerned, he was a visiting act and that's what I did so I did that and built up again confidence on that side of it and then I sort of moved in like say 96, 97 into being a full time act if you like So up then, to that
0: point were you 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 were working within the parks in, in yeah. this, this other role an entertainment managing role Yeah. and then you felt at that stage so you would have been about 20s sort of late 20s early late middle late 20s something like that
1: yeah yeah, yeah right uh, you it, yeah. then
0: thought you, you can you can cut it you can make make a living support yourself by yeah. getting it yeah. out there and t- yeah I moved
1: it. down to Torquay and shared a house with a couple of other fellow acts who were all sort of starting out at the same time really and had a laugh down there and then we just sort of used that as a base to work down southwestern parks and, and theatres down there
0: You've done a lot of Panto, and I presume a lot of that is post-Britain's Got Talent, but were you doing it prior to that as well?
1: You- yes, this year, darling. Anyway. Hey, 30 years, darling, Panto. <laughs> Danny LaRue. <laughs> ah, man and did boy. And boy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I did that. Yeah, I did, I mean, this is my 30th year, all being well, if it goes ahead, of course, um, <coughs> being my 30th year in Panto, which, again, mm. I enjoy that because, when, as you know, when you're out on your own, doing your gigs on your own, a bit lonely sometimes, and it's all down to you. But then doing pantomime for me, I do get a bit annoyed when people frown upon pantomime because you know I think it's a great way for people, kids and families, to go into theatre. But I love pantomime because one I get to work with some a great. I've been very lucky over the years worked with some wonderful, wonderful people, and the odd one or two not so wonderful, but that's showbiz, isn't it? And um, <laughs> I love I love being pantomime because it's you're part of a team again. It's like again yeah. going back twenty odd years when I was on an entertainment team it's like doing that and you're all called together and it, it, you give out this show to all the kids and, and all that sort of stuff So I do get quite passionate about it because I do actually enjoy it and I think people that do frown upon it I think it's it's not very fair because it's it's a great medium and lots of people enjoy it.
0: From that period on you were carrying on doing what you were doing until 2010 when you entered Britain's Got Talent what brought you to Britain's Got Talent. What was the the thinking behind it? And then we'll talk about, beyond that, what it's done for your career.
1: Yeah, what happened was not, not a lot of people had it. But in, in, you know, the very first series, I actually auditioned in the very first series. And I did the audition, got through, and didn't get through to the, to the finals. It sort of affected me a little bit, because, again, maybe it's my snobbery, because I, at that time I was like, about 36. And I did it because I thought it's an opportunity to boost your career. It's a showcase, again, isn't it? You know, it's a showcase, an opportunity to, because you've been in business quite some time, and again, my snobbery kicked in a bit because they seem to just want, and there's no disrespect to anybody who's been on it, is that they seem to want the story and they didn't, as we know, it's all about the story and not necessarily about the act. And if I was a road cleaner, then I would have had more of a chance because I was actually a, a professional act at the time. And against my now wife's better judgment, I applied for it again via another mate of mine who made me do it through alcohol. But then it worked that time. I'm not blind to how these programs and that work. And, you know, I am not going to go into it too much because it doesn't make any... It is what it is. And so I had the opportunity to go do it again. And it was so, so different from when I did it the first time around. For instance, the first time I went on there and my audition, because it's Piers Morgan, Amanda and Simon, Piers buzzed me in my audition. Did it? Yeah, the, time. the next time I did it, they never showed that, obviously. So the next time I did it, he said, You're the best impressionist we've ever had on Britain's Got Talent. Yeah. So make your mind up with that we want. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's yeah. what it is. But you have to go with the flow, and I did enjoy it immensely, actually. And um, it was hard to yeah. Did you,
0: because- Did you feel that they misrepresented you subsequently? Because I know that a lot of the stories I hear about Britain's Got Talent, and certainly one of the reasons that it just never entered my mind to accept the invitation to go on it, was I thought, you don't care about my act. You care about making a TV show, which is fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but that's what it's about. And so they're going to rep- represent you on the show the way that they feel is best serves the TV show. So you went through the process and I've spoken to Darren Altman who went through it a few years ago and also Danny Postel who who did spectacularly well because he's great, of course, as is Darren. Did you feel when you watched it back that this is actually not what I do or this doesn't show me in my best light or did you feel it actually gave you the boost and and they represented you fairly?
1: I think they represented me fairly but but at the same time, there's always the one that I did it for my kids, I'm doing it for my kids, right? And I have two, at that time in mid to late teens now, by that time I've got two youngsters uh, who are younger, then obviously 10 years younger, uh, from my previous marriage. And they involved them in, when they come down to film you, I live in Bristol, they came down and filmed me with the kids and all this sort of stuff. And I don't think I'm a stupid person, but I just didn't see what was coming. The fact that they, Edited it that it was like I'm doing it for my kids, yeah. because I said that on audition. I said, you know, I'm gonna do it for my kids because I want my like any parent would sure. wants their kids to be proud of them. Yeah. And um, I just said that because that's the thing that come, came to my head because that's how I feel. And then to be perceived as like Anna Deck going, oh, he's doing it for the kids, you know, and all that. He's doing it for the children, you know. And I was like, oh, you know, what I mean, it's sort of a bit like that. And it's like yeah. I didn't particularly like that because I didn't see it coming. But you have to go with the flow. Who, who am I to argue with it? And it, and it did me good. You know, and I was lucky. you know. felt proud of finishing fifth and, and getting lots of nice bits and pieces out of it. And it was a showcase. It is, you know, At that time, it was what, 14, 15 million people watching the finals. Yeah, so
0: yeah.
1: everyone seemed to know who I was, which is nice.
0: Then what happened? Because I know that having seen the paperwork that they make you sign and I've said this on the show before, I used to be a solicitor, right? So I picked up this bit of paper and I thought, well, I'm not having that. i <laughs> got the red pen out and started, started altering it. And I said, you know, if you want me yes. to even think about being on this yes. show, uh, have a look at that. And so they, they said, well, oh, we're going to get our lawyers to have a look at it. And then it came back they said, no, we're not changing anything. But come anyway, <laughs> don't sign it and come and do the show anyway. And then we'll work it out from there. And I thought, well, that's not how things work in the real world. Did you feel when you signed that up, that suddenly you're now no longer in complete control of your destiny, or were you quite happy to let uh, Psycho look after you know the next few years?
1: Well, in my year, it didn't quite happen like that because okay. um, we did the, all the finals and stuff like that, then we did the um, the arena tour, which was great, so yeah. that was amazing to go and do you know the O2 in London and all that sort of stuff, and yeah. Scotland and all over the place, which is nice easy gig as well and they paid for everything that particular year they had a management company come in and sort of picked the people that they want they picked they had everybody there's nothing to do with psycho so it wasn't simon or anything like that we all had meetings with them prior to doing the program we all look after you blah 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 so after bgt they looked after us and stuff like that and Certain people fell by the wayside, of course, as it happens, the people that were sort of earning their bigger money that were maybe more popular or, or won or whatever, carried on and stayed with this management. I stayed with them for a little while. And then um, during the tour, of course, I got the phone call to go to ITV to do the Christmas special, which was like, where did that come from? Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like,
0: really? Me? Are you sure?
1: That was like bizarre, really bizarre. So I remember I had to go to the meeting at ITV by Embankment, and st- really, are you sure?
0: Really, <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> did, did, you almost got to the point where you're saying, "Look, you don't mean me; you mean somebody else." Guess,
1: that's what's going on in my head, obviously, because mm. I was playing. You know, it's like giving it a double boy, giving it. You know, playing it cool, trick, playing it cool. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, yeah." well, oh, that sounds lovely jubbly, you know what I mean? i oh, will do some of that, my son. <laughs> and all <of> that. <laughs> it was literally like that. Next thing I know, I was filming a Christmas special, which I didn't have no control in that at all. I had to some new impressions as well, which is fine, which is always good. Learning impressions, if you're told to do them, you sort of have to, really, don't you? So- yeah. But whether you can do it or not, it's a different matter, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's fine. Right.
0: We'll talk I we'll want to talk about that in a second, because we haven't got onto yeah. your, you know, your technique, if you like, your process. But just just finishing off that story, you did the Christmas special, which must have felt like a massive break. But after that it didn't come together.
1: I'm not trying to make excuses for it because it was what it was, and I had no say in it at all, even the writing. I did enjoy it to a degree, but it was hard work because at the same time I was doing pantomime as well. My head was like spinning, you know, and, I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and it was like, "Where am I? What am I doing?" Okay, oh, it's behind you. No, it's not. I'm in the TV studio, and um, so it was a bit crazy, and there was a lot of pressure, a hell of a lot of pressure, to the point that my now wife had, and she's not like this at all. She's from the insane business background, but she had to go in and tell the producers he's doing it like that because yeah. I was like, literally, like, virtually in tears because it was <laughs> TV's like that. They keep changing the script, and every five minutes, so like,
0: yeah,
1: it was very rushed. And, of course, Jess Robinson was in with me as well. You know, yeah. Jess.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And she's amazingly a lovely, lovely, talented young lady. And she's more used to the TV because she did some stuff with Bremner, didn't she? Uh, with Alistair, actually. Yeah. And um, so it was a lot of pressure. They showed it twice, I think, the 22nd of December, and then on the 31st on ITV1 of December. First rating's got 3.7 million, which is, I believe, quite good. Yeah, Do you know I mean, I was three. <laughs> Yeah. You know, one of them's my wife. But that was quite good. And then I was told at the time by the head of ITV that he was very happy with it and I was going to be doing Saturday nights when TV Bert was on, because Harry's doing TV Bert then. And obviously his series will come to an end and I was going to put my show, is bull burning every Saturday night. And I'm not just making this up, it's true. And I thought, like you say, here we go. This yeah. is going to be great. And um, the TV show, like I say, went out, got good ratings. Didn't have the best Views in the world, but these things don't, do they? You know, and then I heard nothing. I'm still waiting to hear from them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ten years later, yeah. yeah. And it's,
1: it's it's hard, mate. It's hard because I think yeah. when you're being put in that position as well, it was hard. It was hard to accept that. I think because I was told from the head of IT at the time that this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and you think, here we go. Like I said, yeah. um, but sadly, but you know, it is what it is, and you have to move on. And
0: you can't ever assume anything until you're actually. <laughs> Behind the microphone, and they someone says, "Right, we're recording." And and uh, so yeah. That, yeah, and even then, actually, you've got to wait until it goes out; otherwise, it, it may never go out. <laughs> but, <laughs> that, so that clearly a, a disappointment. I, I was going to go back a little bit. You talk about the pressure of that. I mean, it sounds horrendous. And in terms of family, with young kids, a lot of your work was on the road. You'd be spending, you know, a few nights here and a few nights there, and doing stuff. How did that? affect you both as a dad and as a husband and you know did it put extra strains on those relationships
1: of course it does i think any performers like that i think whatever you do unless you're um high enough to be able to take them with you wherever you go a lot of people have said that even when i started out and i was meeting you know other comics and listening to them you know and say they'll say to you know make sure if you have kids you know you have to make time for them you have to have a balance and i found that um again prior to bgt i was would really he divorced anyway from my ex wife, obviously, and made kids with her? Two children living in Cardiff, uh, but the relationship was okay because we were seeing them all, you know, as much as we could. And they came out and stayed with my now late, my latest wife, um, <laughs> <laughs> the latest Mrs. Berlin. We were spending a lot of time with them. Of course, that particular year was just crazy, but they understood that because then it was all you know. They come to see me in Cardiff when I did the arena tour at uh, the Cardiff Arena, and it does make it hard. It is what it is and you have to, it's like anybody really, you know, you ask people that work in the army and they're away for months, you know, um, my yes, wife, it, I wish, wish I was away for months, but really are <laughs> has gone down together. So it's
0: just like, it is a tough life in some respects, you know, there's, there's glamour involved, but actually it, it depends where you are in the, in the firmament, doesn't it? And if you're yeah. bashing around and can't really get the brakes and does put pressure on the, the family and and on you know well, actually, you know, you
1: know yeah. it all comes into play it all yeah, comes into play you know it's so famine or feast it. sometimes yeah, you know you sure sometimes loves. it's famine sometimes it's feast and then then the, when it is feast you're paying off the famine bit <laughs> so yeah.
0: You know. yeah that's it it's a tough old game but in the ten years then since your BGT since your special you've been you've been busy right so you've been doing lots of panto you've been doing your act in clubs and in all, all across the country did you or have you ever taken any steps into the you know the alter- what I said, it's, it seems odd calling it the alternative comedy circuit now because it's it's almost mainstream really in many respects yeah, did, have you have you played any of the clubs you know the comedy stores that what used to be junglers uh you know the, all those clubs uh i can't even know, glee club places like that
1: i've doubled in it yeah totally so I've got mates uh, in, who do that side, because we're all doing it together, really. Yeah. Uh, I used to go out to do gigs at Abroad, for Resorts, and used to send two comics out from the, the comedy store side of things, yeah. and people like Phil Walker and Rudy Liquid, and working alongside them. And I, I loved it, because it gave me more of a freedom, really, because when you're working in holiday parks got, and, and theatres, it's very family-orientated, of course, and so it should be. And I'm not saying I go out swearing and stuff like that, because that's not quite me anyway. Mm. But it gave me a lot more freedom to try different stuff as well. And I, I, I did enjoy it. And I really enjoyed that side of it. And working alongside these people, like I mentioned before, you know, especially like Phil Walker, who's from a, his dad's Warriors, you know, and feels great. And feels great, Dad, and i a lot of times with him. And we used to have good chats, because he does a few voices as well. And we're sitting yeah. there doing our voice and Comics together. And, oh, fucking songs everybody. hey. <laughs> And all that sort of thing together, and there should never really be them and us. I don't. I don't feel that despair. That, no. that, I feel if it's funny, it's funny, you know.
0: Moving on to voices, then, because you you talked about just now about the the kind of the drudgery, if you like, of having to learn a voice because you need to do it for a particular show. Let's start with the voices that come naturally to you. Are you listening and listening and listening? Uh, and then repeating, are you doing the thing where it's you know you're thinking hang on I've got that voice and it's you know, it's coming from this part of my mouth? Is it entirely instinctive for you so that you hear a voice, you've got it, great, there it is, and move on to the, you know the next one that comes naturally?
1: I think it's more instinctive, but I feel that if it's not right, I won't do it. Do you know what I mean? I think if yeah. it's if it's only eighty percent there, I wouldn't use it. But it's, as you know, it's like anything else, it's practice, isn't it? And um, mm. my wife, sorry, my latest wife, Leah, she is worse than Simon. You know, she hasn't got the high trousers. Going, yeah. it's a no. uh, she, um, <laughs> I didn't like it. I loved it. She's very um, much my critique and she will say yes or no to it. Or yeah. you need more tweaking. How I think of it, I... I don't know. if I'm a bit weird because I, when I first find a voice, and especially early, early days, I didn't. In my mind's eye, I would envisage that character in my mind's eye. Whether it even be a cartoon character or whoever, I I see it in my head. Does so that just sound a bit crazy?
0: No, it, makes, it makes absolute sense to me because quite often when you're you're in a character, particularly if you're you know you're doing some of the physicality of a character, yes. You know, I used to do, I don't know, Peter Beardsley, and I only did... But I used to try and make the face, right, which was all a bit wonky. And I'd, I, in my mind, I'd be, you know, I'd have his face very firmly fixed, you know, to help me. It's not, it's not any physical, is it?
1: But then I have my, what I call, again, back to what I was talking about earlier, some of my characters, some of my voices, are what I call talkies. All day long, I could talk as Homer Simpson. She like, okay. I sit here and go, oh, yes, Leah, I would like a nice cup of tea, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, whatever. I no. said, oh, yes, I'd love a cup of tea. I oh, really would. Let's have a game
0: show. And you do a beautiful Norton, Graham Norton.
1: Well, yes, indeed it is, you see, because he's quite a talkie as well. Yes, indeed he is.
0: It's <laughs> great. That's really spot on.
1: But there's one or two that I do that I just what I call throwaway impressions, you know. Yeah. So I could just, you know, I can't think of one. Simon's the right here. Could know, just say, you know, really, it's a no for me. But I couldn't speak to it as him all day. Right. I could try. I've probably pushed it, but you know, that's
0: you know, interesting. That so, you, so those are the kind of uh, the sort of the snippet impressions, the ones where you can you can sell it in a few words and move on. Uh, yeah and, and and you know, you don't showcase it and then you bring in, you know, you bring in Harry Hill or you bring in one of your Yeah.
1: Another example, so I mean it's when I do like fours and horses and I could say it's old hat and stuff like that, but come oh. on, everybody else all the horses. No, no,
0: it's classic you know? TV. Yeah. Classic TV.
1: And yeah. um so I can do like you know, I can do the old Dillon boy all day long, you know what I mean? <laughs> and me, like, uncle, you know. And uh Uncle Albert what i sit here all day. Having a nice cup of tea with a missus and maybe a brandy. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But Rodney's just a London voice. Rodney's just a cockney voice. Yeah. Oh, bloody hell? Do I ever say as, as Rodney? Because it's not sustainable in the fact that, as you would know, it's not as a distinctive voice as a dull boy or an uncle Albert. Or oh, a boy say, okay, Maureen. <laughs> but Rodney's just, oh bloody hell, cause me, Dill.
0: What are the things that you, you know, you're trying to identify in a voice that you know you can work with?
1: I don't know. I just do them. Um, I, just, <laughs> I just, I don't know i do really. I just, again, go back to, I oh, know, it's going back to BGT, but Alan Carr, when I look at it now, when I see this, uh, not like I'm sitting there being sad and going, I must watch myself on BGT. I'm sitting there and I watched it because it was the 10th anniversary since it's been 10 years. And I watched the um, semi-final when I did Alan Carr and that's probably only the second time I've ever done that voice on yeah. BGT. Yeah. So I thought, i got to something really contemporary, i got to something really modern and if I get to the final then I can do something different but it doesn't matter. And I look at it now and it's not right. I shouldn't have done it. But it had to be done then because it was more topical then. But I know I do the voice a lot better now, obviously because I only did it a few times before I actually did it in the in the semi-final. So whereas now he's more like, you know, he's on TV all the time, he's sort of so, his voice goes very really high, I'm oh, not. I'm oh, not cold. Whereas now he's a bit more, oh, hello everybody, it's me, Alan Whereas now he's, he's got it's so many different inflictions in his voice. Yeah. But every every voice has an infliction, different inflictions, of course they do. Yeah. And I think it was Steve Coogan, because he's a great impressionist, he's a great impressionist yeah, yeah. as well. And um, each voice has got a, higher and lower voice, And this is where you reach it, isn't it? I I don't really try to think about it too much, really, Simon, because I just love doing
0: it. You're like me. I mean, I I didn't spend any time thinking about how I'm doing it or what I'm doing to achieve it. It was just something that arrived, you know, at some point. Mm. And, And quite often you get an impression that you think, oh, I can't do that. I can't find anything in there. I'll move. I'll do something else. And a week or two later, oh, hello, I've got it. Did you ever take your cue. We've talked about this on, you know, with, uh, with other impressionists on, on the pod from, from them, you know, when you see an impressionist at work and you think, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. That makes sense now. And I can see what you're doing and I can do that.
1: Yeah. Um, an example, for instance, is when Tony Blair came in power in 97, I think it was. And I'm a big Harry Enfield fan. Again, another great, a great impressionist as well, yeah. Harry Enfield. And, he had his Enfield and chums on. And one of his characters used to be Tory boy, wasn't it? Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. And this mother, and this father. Yes, we work, were. This, we're this. And because Tony Blair got in. And I was trying to get Tony Blair. I could not get Tony Blair at all. And that he had a Christmas special on. And he had this Tory boy going, yes, mother. Yes, father. And the parents said to him, oh, we wish you'd join Labour. And the fairy on the top of the Christmas tree. I don't know if you remember this. I uh, did a, the magic thing and with the wand, and he turned into Tony Blair. Our mother, our father, you know, smiley, smiley, I, I am God. And I, I didn't even do it. I just sat there and went, got it. Yeah. And I was like, my parents time like, because I was in pantomime near them. And my parents were going, what, again? I said, no, no, nothing like that. I've got good doctors, darlings. Uh, <laughs> I've got it. So now I've got Tony Blair. Not the best version of it. that I haven't done it for a long time, by the way, folks. Um, but that's how I got it. I got it from them. But yeah, I, I sometimes you get it off other impressions. Oh, it was the old uh, Family Guy. Because I'm a massive Family Guy fan. Like I said, I started off cartoons, and I still love cartoons and animation to this day. Uh, I've got all the DVDs. My wife, okay, I get DVDs every Christmas. And I've got their box set. And in one of them was live at Montreal.
0: Okay.
1: When they had Seth MacFarlane. And them all lined up doing a live version of Family Guy. I was like, "Wow, this is great!" You know, I could do a pretty good Peter Peter Griffin. No freaking way! But when I watched him doing it, because I'm trying to do it, it's like, "Oh yeah, you know, stick, no freaking way!" Da, da, da He was like chucking out a shadow of his mouth like that. It's, it's control. Oh yeah. no way, guys! You know, and I was like, "Yes, that's how it has to get even that little bit more enhanced because you're actually watching the person doing it. Yeah. So sometimes you get that, like, say, other, other But if you actually watch." you watching how they're in their faces. Yeah, That may be enhanced what you're doing yourself. But most of the time, I just sort of do them and then work on them a little bit if, if my wife tells me I have to.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> She's got you where she needs but You do, once you, here, you you do,
1: get, you do get voices of other impressionists, don't you? Yeah. Yes, you, we've all done
0: that. Yeah, it's the hook, isn't it, sometimes? You know, you yeah. just, I don't know, I could never do John Motson for some reason, and I think I saw R- Rory Bremner doing it. And I don't know what it was that he did. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even a professional impressionist at the time, but I just wanted to be able to do the voice. And I could somehow see what he was doing with the way he shaped his mouth. And, you know, you yeah. yes, you do, you have to say. And there was a sort of a slight, you know, accent involved, you have to say. And he'd say all those things like, um, you know, very much so indeed I fancy. That's great. <laughs> Once you've got all those bits and pieces, you put them all together, you, you've got an impression. Your natural voice, I would say, is somewhere in the middle to lower pitch, isn't it? It's not. It's not yeah. up there. I mean, i was talking to Danny Postill, and his natural yeah. voice is, is at a higher pitch. You get someone like he, hey, yeah, because it's quite
1: sort of like that. George sort of like here, yeah, isn't he? I know, like, I know Danny. Like, quite, quite up
0: here, isn't he? Like, like, he's like he's quite up there, but he's, he still manages to sell impressions of people. You're know, like Boris. He does a, a different version of, uh, of Boris. Yeah, well, and, like, Good, absolutely. Be alert, be alert. Be alert. <laughs> yes, but are there voices that you won't take on because, for you know, they don't fall within your natural pitch, or are you quite prepared? Because I think you can sell an impression even if it doesn't yeah. come anywhere near the pitch, provided you've got enough other things going on. You know, someone like Rory Bremner, whose natural voice is quite high, and he used to do uh, Roger Moore, and he'd do oh, I'm Roger Moore. Um, Hi, what marvellous day it is up here. What's your take on that? You, anything you won't touch? No.
1: Um, I, could do, I could go really high as well, though. Again, it's always cartoons, isn't it? I do the um, the duckling from Tom and Jerry.
0: Wow. Go on, then.
1: <laughs> <We're down. laughs> do, I to, do I need to step I'm back? Back to set myself right up here, and I'm might... like... <laughs> okay, here we go. Are you my mum? Mum,
0: oh Mr. Pussy?
1: John. I see this thing where we had a competition when I'm driving back from a gig with Leah, my wife, on the way back. We see who can get highest. <laughs> the highest. There's obviously, a lady who does lady things, of course, hula eh? hoop And um, we're got... <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> A friend of mine, uh, Mike. Uh, he does. He gets from, goes to Fremantle and gets permission to use some of their characters to go out on tours and theatres and stuff like that. So I did mm-hmm. Rainbow for him, and George, obviously. Uh, and I did um, Caldacular. Do you remember, You must remember Caldacular. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Caldacular. Yes. Yeah. Hello there. <laughs> oh, yes. None. No. Hello, my lucky boys. And all that. So I did that for him. <laughs> Danger Mouse as well. So I did a bit of that. Anyway, he wanted a character... It was a spider, and he goes, um, Can you do like a, a sort of a child's voice? And I sort of, All right, so it wasn't an impression, it was just a voice. So I stood down and something like, Hello, my name is Henry. People don't like me because I've got hairy lips. Why doesn't anybody like me? It's like going, Have you just brought a child in
0: there or something? <laughs> so, it's that, is, that is scarily convincing, <laughs> I have to say. To... <laughs>
1: So I can go really high, and I can go really low. I can, my wife,
0: my wife loves it when I do a bit of Barry White low. No. Yeah, Come on. you know what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. I am, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Hello, Bobby. <brother. laughs> We're coming to the end of the podcast. It's been great fun. I wanted to really? something I've been doing uh, with all of my guests. I'm going to ask you to teach me an impression. Now, I you know I'm long out of practice so this is always a bit of a you know a point where I embarrass myself but pick any one of you what's your favorite impression at the moment
1: I don't know because I like doing a lot of them because they pay the bills normally <laughs> um Alan Carr at the moment okay are you Alan Carr
0: asked yeah I, I, I can do a version of that it's one of the few I can you know oh no <laughs> Oh, oh, No, I can't really do him, but you know, Williams, so, so, darling. <laughs> <laughs>
1: do you do any cartoons? Then you must do cartoons. I,
0: I don't do any cartoons. I'm not. I'm not actually much of a cartoon watcher. So you you can pick any voice now. You must. I'm, you must do
1: Scooby Doo, though.
0: Oh yes, Scooby Doo. here. That's, that's,
1: that's shaggy.
0: Go on, I can't do Shaggy. Go on.
1: From Mr. Bombastic, Mr. Fantastic, Mr. Sorry, I'm Shaggy. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and, uh, hey, Scooby-Doo,
0: where are you? Yikes. <laughs> so what do you... Well, it's, it's pretty high, isn't it? Well, it's high for me. Hey, Scooby-Doo, where are you? That's it. That's all oh, I've I'm got. Thinking. I'm happy if you're happy. <laughs> no, I'm giving myself a solid five out of 10 for that. I think that was, yeah, maybe a four.
1: Well, you're through to the next round. It's BS <laughs> yes
0: for me. Paul, this has been uh, enormous fun. You are immensely talented, and I I do hope that you know for for everyone's sake, but that this business can get up and running again because it's tough out there right now. And who knows, you might be doing a a socially distanced widow twanky, (laughs) you know, or or, I don't know what who you play in in tank pantos. Oh, you're you're a a butt, oh, sorry, laugh, sorry, laugh. But I hope that. That opportunity comes, and I hope lots of loads of stuff, you know, good stuff comes for you because you know you've got an immense range of voices, immense talent, and I think it's uh, it needs to be out there. It needs to people need to to hear it and see it. Well, it's you. been it's been well, uh, Matt, It's been a pleasure, and all that remains for me to say is thank you to my oh. <laughs> 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 Thank you to my special guest Paul Burling, and from me, it's goodbye.